everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast. My name is Eva. I'm a farm law educator and your host for the show. Today, I'm joined by our director, Rachel, and we are going to get into the fun subject of employee handbooks. And I say fun because working on a farm where there are clear processes for managing worker responsibilities and employer responsibilities can create a more enjoyable work atmosphere. And who doesn't want that, right? So today, we're going to get into employee handbooks, what we think they are, what they can do, and how to make them work for you, legally speaking, of course, because this is Farm Commons after all. Hey, Rachel, how's it going? Uh, It's going great. Happy to be here. I like the employee handbook discussion because it's, you know, it's about our farmers and ranchers. It's about what they want. It's, It's good, flexible, fun stuff. You can have the world you want like we like to say, just write it down. So hey, those are some of the themes we're gonna be, we're gonna be talking about today. What I wanted to start with though, is people's impressions of what a handbook is. When we think about that, we think about employee handbook, we think about, I don't know, we're gonna go start a job at some, some big corporation and we walk in the door and you know, before we even meet people, they, they deposit us in the lunchroom or some other windowless environment and they hand us a stack of papers and are like, read this, you know, and you're under pressure of time and it's full of all these irrelevant, meaningless statements and it feels like some sort of process and procedure. That's no fun. And I want to be sure that people know right from the start that that is not what we're talking about for your farmer ranch. It doesn't have to be that way. Employee handbooks get this bad reputation, but they really can be an excellent resource and they can save folks headaches on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be this you know, corporate formality. So that's what I'm excited about today. I'm excited about talking with you about what the employee handbook can be and why it has a lot of potential to make, to make really each day more successful. Yeah, absolutely, Rachel. I think what you're illustrating is the um, creative power in putting together an employee handbook and seeing it as a an empowerment tool rather than um, something boring that we've heard about, maybe seen in TV shows or in movies or had at desk jobs. Um, And so really underscoring the um, utility and powerful nature of this farm tool, which you know, listeners, if you've tuned in before, we are all about the power of paperwork. (laughs) So let's get into it. Um, So right from the start, here are three excellent reasons to have an employee handbook that you can um, jot down if you are in your farmer branch office um, and you have a notebook handy, or just keep in mind as you're working out in the field. 
Uh, so the first reason is they set reasonable, realistic expectations upfront. And the second reason is they can be a useful tool in guarding against discrimination. And the third reason is that employee handbooks can help to manage unemployment insurance claims. So those are the three top reasons to have an employee handbook. So if your ears perked up with any of those, uh, we got lots more on each of these three points coming up. So Rachel, wanna start walking us through uh, each of these three reasons? Absolutely. So for our purposes, when talking about legal issues, number two and number three, guarding against um, uh, discrimination on the farm and managing unemployment insurance claims, well, that's going to take up um, a fair bit of our time. But I also want to call attention to your first reason, reasonable, realistic expectations for your farm employees up front, that there are good legal reasons to, uh, to do that. So that's going to be woven into our conversation here. So we also want to know, we just want to reflect, take a moment to reflect on why we do this. It's not just legally wise. It's a smart idea in a lot of different ways. Using an employee handbook can actually help you get and keep the workers that you need. And in today's type labor market, you know you need all the help you can get. So that's a huge motivation to, uh, to also pay attention to this conversation, aside from those legal issues. So let's talk about that. Okay, how does an employee handbook help you get and keep the workers you need? Well, if we could review what an employee handbook is, I think that question will get answered right for you. So to start, of course, the employee handbook sets clear, realistic expectations for the work. And this is especially important when it comes to farm work. Let's think first about the rain. On your farm, do you work right through the rain? If you do, I'm assuming maybe you bring rain gear. Well, do your workers bring their own rain gear? And if not, are you providing it? And let's say the rain starts when we're in the middle of harvesting some cabbage. Do workers go back to the office to get their rain gear? Are you expecting them to take it with them in the fields at all times, only when rain is predicted? So you can see right away how helpful that is. What if you could provide your employees with information right from the start and they could read this on their as their first task on the job? So before anyone gets distracted with duties or learning how to harvest cabbage, they could be making a mental list in their heads. All right, bring rain gear. My responsibility, bring the rain gear I want. Then let's say that you show them the place where we put their stuff when they arrive in the morning. And you say, okay, look, here's where you're gonna put your jacket. Here's your spot for your rain gear. If we, if we leave it here, this is a place with good air circulation. It's gonna dry overnight. And again, you're just reinforcing that at your farm, you bring your own rain gear. It's important. This is where you keep it. Here's how we're gonna keep you dry and comfortable on the farm. Yes, setting up those, those clear expectations for how to prepare for rain with the rain gear, where to put it and all that is so helpful, Rachel. And I'm actually imagining myself showing up um, on the first day of a job at a farmer ranch and being told to read the employee handbook. And then once I've 
had the time to do that, then being shown the ropes around the farm to see how the pieces connect. And that process sets up clear expectations, um, hopefully very likely avoiding confusion and delay later on um, because of that clear communication. And that is especially helpful because when it's about to storm and work is either about to get done or in the process of getting done, it's really hustle time to get those chores accomplished and wrapped up. And you don't want to be caught, or at least I don't want to be caught, <laughs> confused in the field and then potentially sick from working through bad weather um, without the proper gear. So yeah, literally you know, not caught in that situation and also figuratively too, because I think this this rain gear metaphor or this rain gear scenario that you're sharing is a powerful metaphor and that you could pretty much in 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 what am I trying to say here? Inject, intersect, put in another scenario of a possible issue on the farm um, and, and clearly communicating about it beforehand in the um, employee handbook, whether it's rain gear or um, you know, or tool organization in the pack shed or um, timesheets, really, um, this is a, a great illustrative example. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, if you if you compare this to to the alternative, you know, a farmer that doesn't have a handbook that hasn't thought about these issues beforehand, and he or she only thinks to tell the workers to bring their own rain gear after it starts raining when it's relevant. Farmer's not going to be happy workers aren't going to be happy to realize that that was their responsibility. I actually worked with a farmer in the past who had some terrific employee management skills. And one of the things that he did is he actually sent his employee handbook to hires before they came to the farm and actually before they were even hired. And he did that as a way of making sure that they truly understood what farm work was like. So, you know, we all know of farms that hire people, they work for two days and then they're out of there because it was, they were like, what? You work in the rain? So, you know, in terms of getting the employees you really want and that are going to be happy there, sometimes it's good, you, you know, to screen them out if this isn't going to work for them. And the employee handbook can help do that. Let's touch on another element of a good employee handbook, and that is time off. You know your workers aren't going to be there 24-7, even if they live on the farm. So whatever the schedule is, you got to spell it out. So in particular for our vegetable producers, what about Memorial Day and Labor Day? Those are usually, you know, peak, uh, peak work times. And you can't fault a person for thinking that, you know, like everybody else, um, you'd have Memorial Day and Labor Day off. Do folks on your farm have any possibility to earn vacation or personal time? Not a lot of farms do. And if that's you, well, what about taking unpaid time off? Like if they have a family emergency or a wedding? What if folks get sick? Now, many of our producers have a food safety plan that prohibits sick employees from handling the food. So that means, of course, you gotta communicate that plan to employees and set the standard. What is sick? What's a cold? What about a stomach bug? What do you really mean? Are you asking for a doctor's note? <laughs> so you can see how this kind of upfront communication is going to save a lot of headaches. Even if there is no earned vacation or sick time, it doesn't mean things won't happen and folks won't ask. So you got to have a plan. Your gut instinct may be to say, well, I'm going to figure it out when I get there. Oftentimes what that really means is, well, you know, if the workers are good, 
person and I like him or her, then I will let them take that time off. Oftentimes farmers are thinking, I don't wanna commit in writing to whether and how a person can take unpaid leave for family events. We gotta wait to see. What does that, uh, what does that say to you, Eva? Yeah, well, what it says to me is that the flexibility piece in, in an employee handbook, so, um, or rather building in flexibility as you're creating an employee handbook and allowing for the opportunity to be able to make decisions once a request comes up, that can be an attractive workplace feature that can build trust in the relationship between employer and employee. Um, and so in some ways, that's a really good thing. And so I think the main thing with employee handbooks is that um, you can set parameters that allow for flexibility. So what we're saying here is to is not to you know throw flexibility out the window, um, but rather find um, supportive and constructive ways to build that into your um, training and employee management processes. Um, so yeah, flexibility, good thing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And that is one important side of the flexibility coin. But, you know, because, uh, because it's farm commons and there's always, there's always a dark side. There's always a, but wait, what if? Let's, uh, let's turn over that coin and just talk about the dark side of flexibility. So let's say that we have our, our worker, Jamie. Jamie asks to leave early for a wedding on a Friday. And the farmer says, yes, because the farmer and Jamie get along. The farmer likes Jamie. Jamie's a great worker. And it just doesn't feel right to say, no, you can't, you know, you can't take off early to get to your sister's rehearsal dinner, you know, clean and fresh smelling. So they know, you know, they know that, that Jamie is close to their sister and, and it would hurt their, hurt Jamie's feelings if the farmer says no. So farmer says yes. But let's say on the next day, we have our worker, Jack. Jack asks to leave early to help their sister who just had a baby and needs to get to a doctor appointment. Well, farmer reflects on Jack and you know, Jack's fine, but the farmer and Jack, you know, they don't, they're not like, they're not best buds. They're different in age, they have different social circles, they go to different churches. And maybe Jack is simply a less social person. And so, the farmer hasn't really developed a stake or a familiarity in their personal life. They don't know whether or not, you know, Jack's sister is going to be um, bothered or why, why she needs help getting to the doctor anyways. In the farmer's perspective, you know, the sister can get someone else to give them a ride. So let's take a step back. What just happened in this scenario? So when we look at it objectively, the farmer had the same request from two different workers leaving a few hours early for a family thing. But the farmer responded differently. If you were Jack, you might be asking why. Why is Jamie getting treated differently? Why am I, Jack, getting treated worse? It looks like they don't get the same treatment because they're not, the, not friends with the farmer. And you know what, Jack is right. Jack would be right to think that because just like all of us are inclined to do, the farmer wanted to grant a to grant Jamie's request because it was hard to turn down their friend. Yeah, and I'm gonna interrupt you here, Rachel, because my spidey sense is going off um, because this example of, of objectively the same scenario, but being handled differently between two different people um, is filled with key elements of accidental discrimination. 
Exactly. That's exactly what we are worried about. Finely tuned legal spidey senses. So totally. All right, listeners, can you sense how this is going to be a problem? Maybe you're saying, uh, you know, the farmer just needs better boundaries around uh, allowing friends to do something. But okay, let's say though that this is actually the third time that Jack has been treated differently. We're getting some anger here. Uh, Jack is starting to look even harder for reasons. And maybe what they're coming up with is that they don't go to the same church, they're not the same age, but maybe we're also wondering if it's because Jack is not the same race or ethnicity as a farmer. We're starting to suggest that maybe there is some discrimination at play. And Jack is wondering if the farmer is purposefully denying them time off because the farmer doesn't trust or believe people of Jack's race, gender, ethnicity, etc. And I mean, that's not too big of a leap to make, right? We are, we are honestly all capable of going down that path when we make decisions on the fly. So when we say we want to leave our options open or figure it out when we get there, sometimes we're actually just leaving the door open to bad basis for decision-making. And sometimes we are better off when we commit upfront, even though that's hard, to only allowing time off and specific standards and using specific guidelines for our decision-making. Yep, Rachel, for sure. And you know, in risk management on the farm, we're often straddling the line between flexibility and clear expectations. And setting that boundary line can can feel hard or cumbersome to to do to set that boundary, but it will be worth it to preserve relationships and avoid issues down the road. So this is all about um, preventative, preemptive action that will say, help to save you some headache later on. And actually a quote by an athlete that I admire, uh, marathon runner Shalane Flanagan, who is uh, tomorrow on November 6th running the NYC marathon in New York. Um, one of her quotes comes to mind and it's over prepare and then go with the flow. So once you set your boundaries, you can then flow within them. Absolutely, absolutely. Writing things down and committing to procedure doesn't mean that we're you know, over-managing ourselves so that we can't go with the flow. What we can do now, you know, let's come up with what our farmer could have done in this situation for Jack and Jamie. Our farmer could have said, workers can request permission to leave up to two hours early up to three times in the growing season. Requests to leave must be submitted at least one week in advance so that I can plan for a replacement. So then when Jack asks for time off, the farmer could say, well, no, like it says in the manual, I can grant this request three times, but this is your fourth request. Or like the manual states, I need a week to rearrange schedules and two days isn't enough time. So I'm sorry, but I can't do this for you. Now, these standards, setting flexible parameters like this can help us in all sorts of situations, not just time off, but also, you know, rain gear. Um, when do you have to bring it? What happens if you don't have it? Um, you know, all manner of other sorts of uh, issues and contingencies that come up on the farm. Life is easier, honestly, when you can refer to a manual something that was given to them in, in advance that everyone had a chance to read and that is applied equally. This matters legally because 
Jack is going to be less inclined to feel that discrimination is afoot because there was this objective standard. And of course, Jack will be less likely to win on a lawsuit brought on that basis when the farmer was simply following the manual, which was communicated ahead of time and applied consistently. Now, that's really key, though, that second part. When we're trying to protect against discrimination, an employee manual must be applied consistent, consistently. If a farmer lets Jamie have all kinds of exceptions, oh, you know, I want a week off, or I'm sorry, I need to, I need at least a week notice, but it's okay, you can, you can cut off early tomorrow. Well, you know, if you're giving Jamie that exception, inquiring minds are going to want to know again, why? You need to have a good answer. And of course, your best bet is if that answer is grounded in objective written criteria that everyone has access to. Yeah, for sure, Rachel. Um, and getting back to our list of reasons to have an employee handbook, uh, we just checked number two off the list. So thank you for walking us through um, how employee handbooks help us to avoid discrimination by setting those clear objective standards to which everyone will be held, um, underscoring, of course, the creative power for farm and ranch operators to uh, create those standards. Um, now, do you think it's a good time to move on to um, reason number three related to unemployment insurance? Absolutely. Good point, Eva. And I would love to move on to our issue um, number three about unemployment insurance. Uh, but before we go, I want to, you know, we've been referring a lot to time off and rain gear, but there's so much more that uh, should be included in an employee manual. So I wanted to uh, rattle off some sections that I think are going to be really useful for folks to, to think about as they move towards drafting one of these um, of their own. Something like rain gear, we tend to include in a, in, in a section about inclement weather. And it's not just rain gear. What, what about um, you know, what about a tornado warning or, you know, hail or those sorts of things. What about pay? Major um, issue of great importance to your employees. When are they paid? Um, through what means? Um, where do they find their paycheck? Or is it, you know, auto deposited? So that you can pay them, do you have time cards? Where are they kept? When do you need them filled out? Days and hours of work. Um, leave. Do you have any benefits? Um, what about alcohol and drugs, uh, smoking, cell phone usage? Um, what if someone has a complaint? How should they handle that? Who did they tell? What could they expect to happen if they do have a complaint, particularly one that's about um, safety, security, sexual harassment, those sorts of things. Now, one of the uh, provisions that's especially important in an employee manual is about discipline and termination. So now that we've run through those, um, through those categories, you can kind of sense where we're headed. Those discipline and termination procedures are especially important for handling the potential for unemployment insurance claims. Also, Another thing, yet another thing, before I dive into the unemployment insurance claims, if all that sounds interesting to you and you're thinking, gosh, what should an employee handbook for a farm look like? 
we've got you covered. We've got a big table of contents and a sample model um, employee handbook for um, any farm business to use um, at our website. So we would love if you would consider joining Farm Commons and heading over there to, to take a look at something you can adapt yourself um, and get well on your way to writing um, an employee handbook for your farm. But back to unemployment insurance. For anyone who's not uh, not familiar with unemployment insurance. It is a system to compensate folks who lose their jobs for no fault of their own. It's important to note that smaller farms generally across the United States and in uh, many states like New Hampshire do not have to pay into the unemployment insurance program. Now, the, I got to qualify that, though. They don't have to pay into it as long as they are only assigning agricultural labor tasks. So that is a production and marketing of crops and livestock, not like pizza farms or value added or agritourism. So uh, most smaller farms um, that only assign agricultural labor don't have to pay into it and don't have to worry about a claim being filed. But of course, let's, let's also orient to what is a small farm. If um, a farm has 10 or more workers um, on their operation for a certain number of days, then they may need to start paying into unemployment insurance. And again, that's the federal rule. Many states have adopted it. Um, and uh, for our New Hampshire folks that are especially listening in, um, it does apply in New Hampshire. But for everyone else, you do have to take a look at your state and see if your state has adopted the, um, the federal unemployment standard for agricultural labor. We've got that information um, on our website for some states and for all states very shortly. So, all right, if you, if you don't pay into the system, you don't have to worry about a claim, but a lot of our farms are expanding into value-added production, agritourism, um, it, you know, maybe, especially in these pandemic times, folks have been taking on things like direct marketing or pooling their items um, with other folks and doing home delivery. That stuff can start to look like non-agricultural labor. And then we do have to worry about paying into the unemployment insurance system. Once we start paying into it, the farm's workers are potentially eligible to make a claim. If your worker loses, the, loses their job through no fault of their own, then, and you're paying into the system, then they can make a claim. So let's use some common examples. Farms around about November or December, there's nothing left to do um, on uh, a produce operation, for example, and so employees are laid off. They are laid off because the growing season is over, which is for no fault of, of the employees' um, own. It's certainly not their fault that it's winter. That person could make an unemployment uh, claim and be compensated um, through the winter. But let's say that a person consistently shows up late to work, causes everybody else to you know, be late 30 minutes because they can't get in the truck and go to the fields and it's hard for the farm to meet harvest deadlines. Eventually, let's say the farmer lets that person go so that the farm can get back on track. Well, obviously showing up late consistently is that worker's fault. And if a person who is let go for consistently showing up late is not eligible for unemployment compensation. Although those are two easy examples, it's not always that clear in practice. 
what if the start time for work changed, but the manager never told the worker that they're now starting a half hour earlier? Or what if this worker had always been late and nobody ever said anything uh, you know, about it? Or what if they have a good reason for being late because the, you know, there was a flood near their house and the power went off or who knows what? So in those cases, a worker might be right to feel that it wasn't their fault that they were late. So it can get kind of complicated. Yeah, that's what it's sounding like to me, Rachel, too. Um, but I think this complexity that you're outlining is actually another excellent example of straddling the, the line between flexibility and clear expectations, because things do happen, bad weather, bad, bad weather, it's kind of a hard term to say, <laughs> bad weather will happen. Um, and so do days where it's tough to get out of bed or be on time to show up ready to get work done on the farm. So how can producers who are tuning in plan for that in their employee manuals, especially for those folks who go to our website and check out our model um, employee handbook, which I will um, include in the show notes, a link to that uh, guide specifically. Yeah, there, there is a process that we can follow. And um, to refer back to your quote, we can set our boundaries and then go with the flow within that. So generally, an employee manual will lay out a process for correcting behavior that deviates from expectations. So, you know, if we think about this, think back to some employee manuals you might've read. Have you ever wondered why they say things like a person first gets a verbal warning and then a written warning, and then we develop a performance improvement plan. And if the worker still doesn't meet expectations, then we let them go. Well, the reason we often see a multi-step process like that is because it establishes that it was truly that person's fault. We establish, we, we set up this process so we can show this worker had many chances to correct their behavior. They were clearly told what that behavior was and what it would take to come into compliance, and they did not do it. So a clear employee manual outlines exactly when and where an employee is notified of unacceptable behavior and how to correct it. So then when an unemployment insurance claim is made, the farm can say to the state, look, this is our process. These are our standards. We communicated the standards. We gave them the information and resources to correct their behavior, and they did not do it. Being able to have that is huge if you would like to contest an unemployment insurance claim and say, uh-uh, uh, they were let go for their fault, not for no fault of their own. But let me, let me take a pause um, to emphasize the need for these things to be in writing. If a farm is called to defend itself against a claim of discrimination or against an undeserving unemployment insurance claim, we don't wanna be in front of the judge or the you know, state administrator saying, no, no, really, trust me, trust me. I told them they were doing it wrong. I really did. It was raining that day. And I remember judge doesn't want to hear about what you said. They want to see in writing that that actually happened. That's the evidence we need. So incorporate those written practices in your work. I know it's really distracting and troublesome. You know, you're out there in the cabbage field and, you know, somebody's shown up 30 minutes late. It's not like you want to trudge over to the truck and, you know, find a clipboard and get a pen and, you know, the water's getting, or the paper's getting soggy and it's troublesome, but it is really important. 
we can also make ourselves feel better by remembering that we don't want to end up in front of that judge. <laughs> Nobody does. We just want happy employees that like the job and are eager to work with us and help us be successful. So we go back to that fundamental point that an employee manual does that job first. First, it helps everyone get on the same page. So we all know what we're getting into and how to be effective. And then if things go wrong and keep going wrong, the employee manual is there to back us up so that they don't get even worse after we let that person go. Yep, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Rachel, for um, walking our listeners through the three top reasons to have an employee handbook, as well as cueing all of us into the um, provisions to think about including in employee handbooks. And for all of you listeners who are, you know, after listening to this episode, really jazzed up, ready to update your employee handbook, or even better, start start writing one for the 2022 growing season. Um, the link to our model got our model employee handbook will be included in this episode's show notes. So be sure to check that out. And as a reminder, that guide is um, available to be accessed for free for Farm Commons members, um, as well as associated workshops and um, other trainings and new resources that we have coming coming down the pipeline. Um, and there there is an annual membership fee and we would we would love to have you join us. Um, but just a reminder of all the value that comes with that, including our own um, question and answer problem solving platform um, affectionately called the Commons Community. So check all of that out on our website. And um, for, for now, I want to leave you all with a reminder that um, the hard work of setting health, healthy boundaries will pay off. Um, remember, over prepare and then go with the flow. If you get it in writing, the law will be there to back you up, just like Rachel said. So best wishes, everyone. Um, I know we're going into the holiday season and um, colder days ahead. So um, stay warm, stay healthy, and um, stay over, well, not over prepared. You can never really be too prepared, but stay prepared. Sounds good. And Eva, if anyone is intrigued by the issue of discrimination and wants to look into that further, um, we've got a webinar coming up in early December. Um, and if you're listening to this after December, no worries, that webinar is recorded and available at our website, which will help you get into, you know, a lot of the nuances of, um, of avoiding discrimination. It's nothing anyone wants to do. It's not good for our communities, not good for our farms. So if that, uh, if that issue um, is, uh, is, is on your radar, maybe as a result of this podcast, go check out the webinar. Yep, absolutely. And for you folks in New Hampshire, we have a podcast episode already recorded on um, avoiding discrimination in hiring and firing in New Hampshire. So check that out as well on our channel. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Till next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.